How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. I'm trying to start the video and it's not start. There oh, we go. There you go. It's not necessary. Sorry, this is, so this is just audio. In New York for the Rock Hall inductions. That's well. That's <laughs> exciting. That's very exciting. Super exciting. Um, I'm a senior contributing editor at Polestar, and we have Missy Elliott on the cover. So first woman hip hop artist to go in. Go team. And she was lovely. Like she, we got to interview her and um, she's so smart and she's had such a mark on so many kinds of music. Um, That's very exciting. Yeah. Okay. I might as well just go right into it. Holly Gleason is going to be at the book fair next Saturday, uh, Saturday at four o'clock in the afternoon, presenting her new book, Prine on Prine. Interviews and Encounters with John Prine and Holly Gleason is on the line. And Holly, so good talking to you. Welcome to Folk and Acoustic Music and WLRN. So exciting to be here. Congratulations on your career. I know it's not over, but I remember when you were an intern at the Miami Herald and you were such an enthusiastic music supporter even back then. Uh, I actually wasn't an intern. I was a paid freelancer oh I thought I, you were also a student i was a student but doug adrianson desperately needed someone to write country music and i knew just enough to be qualified to be an actual paid like front of the art section contributor were you it was incredible were you in college for writing no i'm a communications broadcast management programming and law major I was a published writer on golf, of all things, from the time I was 14. So my dad said, learn something else. And then when I started writing for the Herald, he goes, I told you, you know, you didn't need to learn journalism. You needed to learn the business. So and I did that for three years. And I can't express enough my gratitude to the team at the Herald, because I don't know, having taught at the college level, that you can learn what I absorbed in three years writing for those editors. How did it in, in, uh, in, in, how did it affect your track in your career? When I was a senior, I was getting ready to um, graduate, and my advisor Jack Metzger, who was amazing, called me in and he said, "I want you to just take a beat and think about." the fact that you've had Patti LaBelle and Neil Young and um, Ronnie Millsap and Ashford and Simpson, you've had all these covers, like big stories. I think you should give this a year. And within four months of graduating, I was the music critic at the Palm Beach Post. Um, and then I had a boyfriend in California, which is a little bit the genesis of this book too. Um, and the, the, like, I don't want to overstate it, but the truth is, I think that the fire, the fire in my belly got lit at the Herald where the standards were really high. And some of the things that got said to me were a little bit snippy, but I'm enough of, um, you know, that apple polishing. Oh yeah. Kid that. I started chasing the, the the ball really hard. So when the Palm Beach Post fired me for things they accused me of doing that weren't true, um, 
And my boyfriend said, you got to come to California. Within six months of being in California, I was writing for Rolling Stone. Is that when you met John Prine? No, I met John Prine. Ironically, um, he was coming to the Carefree uh, Theater, which was a movie theater in West Palm. And the Herald assigned me to interview him. And he didn't like doing interviews particularly. And... Dan Einstein, who ended up being that boyfriend, had already rebuffed me for the University of Miami hurricane. And when suddenly it's the Herald, the shoe is on a different foot. John and I talked for two hours and 40 minutes the first time we talked. It looked like that scene in Pajama Game where everybody's on the phone and the, my heels are up in the air and I'm writing. And I took the job at the Palm Beach Post, the Palm Beach Post being a competitor, the Herald spiked the story. So they were a mail order record company for all intents of purposes. People with the immediacy today don't realize if you couldn't get your records in stores, your fans had no way of getting your records. So people used to send checks and just say, when you, when you have your next record ready, send it to me. Um, and so I explained to the post what a finky thing that was. And they said, well, go review the show and we'll run their stupid PO box. It's not a million people, but it's a couple hundred thousand and when John came out uh, to open the show, they had put me in the front row because I'd felt so bad. And John's playing Lulu Walls. He steps over the monitor. He goes, hey, Holly, how you doing? And I'm like, oh. And um, I went out after the show because I realized he doesn't know this big story didn't run. And I'm trying to apologize. And he was so sweet. He said, well, then it's just like we're friends. It wasn't business. And he starts hawking me on tribute to Steve Goodman, which ended up um, winning the first contemporary folk Grammy. Beat Aimless Love. So John's like, oh, no, they'll give you a they'll give you an advanced cassette. I'll make sure they do, because that was back when an advanced cassette on good quality tape was twelve dollars and twelve dollars in the 80s was a lot of money. Well, that, that was very innovative. The uh, oh boy record label you're talking about, John. Absolutely. So I had to call the Dan Einstein and he, you know, obviously had gotten an earful from John. Couldn't have been sweeter. Two days later, I had the album, which also contains the famous version of Bonnie Raitt and John doing Angel from Montgomery. That everyone knows that came from the Erie Crown Theater in Chicago. So, um, you know, I laugh when I think about it now, but the dedication of the book is to Cupid and Boo Boo, who opened all of the windows and some of the doors. And that's what that's the secret handshake. Now, speaking with Holly Gleason, the book is called Prine on Prine, Interviews and Counters with John Prine. And Holly's going to be in town at the Miami Book Fair next Saturday at four in the afternoon, I have it, the magic, I imagine that's a place. You've been to right. the book fair a number of times because you're, you're a champion of, of country music and folk music. Uh, but getting back to Prime on Prime, I, I just love how you open the book with Roger, Roger Ebert's review of John Prime. It's a collection of a lot of different John Prime the, stories. The thing about this series, which is fascinating, and some books are better than others, but... Um, you track an artist's career real time. So if you love John, the Ebert review made him a force in Chicago and suddenly he was sold out every night he played. Um, and there's also that wonderful Studs Terkel interview where he came by 
and, you know, talk to him on the brink of his first album coming out. And you get a real feel for who was this hit kid. If you jump forward, I have a later piece called The Postman Always Delivers, which is the demos John cut after that Studs Terkel interview they put out as a as an album on Oh Boy. And John and I talked about it. And one of the things he says is, I haven't seen that kid since he signed a deal and went out on the road for Atlantic Records. Like that jumps forward. So you get the you get two pieces. You get the benefit of him reflecting on what was real time again in the media. But because I have been a part of his life since the onset of Oh Boy Records, I was there. Dan Einstein, who died a year ago in January at 61, so tragic, he helped me curate this. So the guy who built the label, who knew everybody, he's the one that unearthed the letter from the editor of Hot Rod magazine and got us the permission. Like he was invaluable in this. I'm so sad. I read him the introduction. He was in hospice and unconscious, but uh -oh. he got to at least hear the intro. Um, you get this sense of who he was. And the other beauty of this series is and encounters. So you get unorthodox things too. It's not just the Today Show piece scripts or the, um, the 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 Bobby Bear show transcripts or um, Cameron Crowe's piece. There's a Cameron Crowe piece. There's a really great Robert Crisco. I'd hoped he'd be able to come with us, and he's just not traveling like that. But we have a Crisco kind of encounter piece in the Village Voice. We have his last interview with Bob Mir, the Grammy Award winning Bob Mir, um, for Mojo. Like it's all in there. But then you also get um, John at the Library of Congress. You get a piece of a script Billy Bob Thornton wrote after John had battled cancer and won in Daddy and them. Like that role was written for John and he's quiet in the whole movie. And then he goes room to room to room telling people what they need to hear. Holly, so did you ever become more than a friend? Uh, not, not, I don't mean more than a friend. Did you, did you ever? Were you able to, how do you become more of a, when you're writing, uh, let me get this question right. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think I know what you're saying. How do you become a confidant Yeah, uh, and a girl companion to the, to the boys of the road or but, the girls? But that, that is your MO, right? You, you, right. you, you become friends with the subjects of your articles. I think more than friends, I become a confidant. And one of the things that, you know, I've always tried to do is leave enough of a buffer so people never feel violated. But as Greg Sando, who was the first entertainment editor at Entertainment Weekly said, if you don't really know someone, how are you going to write at a deeper level that really provides insight? And I think, you know, when you're 19 years old and you look 11, right? I'm not gonna say people feel sorry for you, but oh man, that's just a kid. Right. When the Jackson family did um, the the Orange Bowl, remember when the victory tour came through? Mm -hmm. I was sitting in the settlement. I was writing for Performance Magazine. Um, I'd worked for the Daz Band. Norby Walters got me a real pass. I think I had gone in to ask a question and they were in the middle of settlement. And I was smart enough to just shut up and listen to 
all the little things you don't realize go into coming off the top of the profits, right? You can't do that at 40. So I had that going for me. I tend to, I tend to ask really smart questions. Like, I hate to say that, but I'm an, I'm a nerd. Do you, do you go to these people's homes? Do you go out to dinner with them? Um, sometimes. I mean, I think, again, we just got nominated uh, for the National Entertainment Arts, the National Arts and Entertainment Journalist Association, um, Miranda Lambert's book, which is theoretically a home entertaining book, but it's really, when she agreed to do the book, she didn't understand what it was, and she wanted to create an homage to multi-generational female friendship. And how it sustains and inspires. And obviously food and cocktails are part of it. So there are recipes. But she just got nominated for a National Arts and Entertainment Journalist Association nonfiction book award. And, you know, so you hang out and you're around. She's just texting me a bunch of claps and hearts because she just found out she's nominated. That's how you do it. And I think artists are always really happy to have someone that will tell them the truth that isn't being a beast. Holly Gleason is on the line. Her new book is Prine on Prine. If you don't mind, tell me the Lou Reed story. With me? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. So I was with John in Europe, he was doing the sessions in Dublin. Amazing. If you want to go see John Prine introduces Lyle Lovett, you can get a feel for what that week was all about. Um, and I had come back and I was, I was very tired and jet lagged. And I went to interview Lou Reed, who I asked one question. He looks at me, blinks twice and leaves. And the publicist comes in. He's like, where's Lou? I go, I, I don't know. I asked him about the fact that he's been kind of the Shakespeare um, who's chronicled this time in New York City. And does he feel like there's a higher literary imperative to what he's doing? And he walked out. And the publicist goes, I'll be right back. You know, <laughs> and he gets him, basically drags him in by the ear. And, and, and Lou goes, what was the question? And he was always one to test journalists and to see if you'd flinch. Fast forward 20 years, um, American songwriter cover for the re reissue of Berlin. There was a happy record. And, you know, he starts that, well, they wouldn't put me on the cover before. And why now? And er, and I'm just like, Lou, you wouldn't, you, you kept passing on the ask. Don't you dare put it on us. You're a prima donna. And he just looked at me and went, what? I go, no, I'm, I'm serious. I said, how dare you say it's us? You have been a brat. And he settled right down, did his interview. It was amazing. You know, we talked about how they told the producers, um, kids, that their mother had been killed in a car crash to get those screams for the record. So those children were really recoiling in horror and upset. A little too method for my taste, but... And in comes Elisa Gardner, the USA Today pop critic, who thought I was just having lunch with my buddy, Lou. She asked her second question, and he says, you're not prepared. Get out. Yeah. So that's that's the Lou Reed story. Holly Gleason is on the line. I'm sure you have a lot of great stories, and, and you've collected your John Prine stories and your new book, Prine on Prine. You're going to be at the book fair next week. 
off subject, are you familiar with the Buffy St. Marie, Marie controversy? She was, I mean, if you get Woman Walk the Line, which was at the book fair. Your book. 27 women on the female country artists who changed their life, because my feminism is we, not me. And I wanted those women celebrated, the writers and the artists. Um, you know, it's hard to say. But the other question I would ask in this world of um, truthiness, if this woman has represented as that and has honored that and has carried the message forward for all these years, is there credit for time served? Because I've always found her to be living that voice very authentically and um, Candia Crazy Horse, who wrote the the Woman Walked the Line essay, um, who is both both Black and Native American, that was her fossil fuel. You know, as she was trying to create her space as an artist who's both of color and of Native origin, you know, I, I always say, if the monkey can't see, it's hard for the monkey to do. So I have a hard time having a, you know, off with her head perspective because I've seen the impact. I agree. Holly Gleason, you're going to be in town for the book fair. In closing, what, what, what is the legacy of John Prine? I think the reason we did the book and I considered Dan Einstein a co-collaborator. We did the book because John had such high integrity that he couldn't go back to another major label, right? At one point after the live album, either before or after the live album, the first one came out, there was an offer of several million dollars from Sony Nashville to buy a boy. And John went to a meeting and they're like, hey, welcome to the family. And John called Albanetta, his other manager, who'd been with him forever and said, we got to get out of this deal. He didn't care that they didn't sell as many records as they might. He cared about making the records in his soul he needed to make. He believed in, he didn't want to sell his song short. He didn't want to chase what somebody thought might sell. He wanted to be true. And that extended to the people who loved the music. When I, and it's in there, the German Afternoons bio, which was part of the plan, Cupid's plan to get the kids together. Um, I went to Wolf Trap in the late 80s and um, I saw all these people and it looked like the scene in Tommy where the kids are reaching up to the stage, right? For the pinball, you know, Tommy, the pinball wizard, you know, heal me, heal me. And I looked at Gary Fish's tour manager, I go, oh my God, they're going to hurt him. Oh my God. Because it was so frenzied. And this was not when John Prine was the Americana icon, right? He was a guy basically selling his songs door to door who could sell out Wolf Trap in Washington, D.C. or Vienna, Virginia, technically. Um, and Gary goes, no, you don't understand. Those people love him because he gives them the faith to know that even if society doesn't give a damn that they served in Vietnam, he sees them and they matter. He goes, this is like someone trying to touch the Pope. And that really stuck with me. And when I went to Dan after John died to ask about doing the book, you know, 
people forget that he was funny and he was salty and he was zesty. But um, he also was somebody who wanted to be a conscience without being a gnat. He wanted to make you recognize where we throw away old people. We don't care about middle-aged women. That teenage girl who gets knocked up, screw her. The boy's got a future, right? He never came out and told you you sucked. But he pulled on your conscience so hard and so gently that it was kind of hard to turn away. Holly Gleason, her new book, Prine on Prine, interviews and encounters with John Prine. Holly's going to be here at the book fair next Saturday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Holly, it was great catching up with you, and congratulations on your success. It was really good talking success. to you because I remember you from, from back in the day. And, um, you know, the thing that we were all so blessed with, how vibrant our scene was. Yeah. You know, our punk stuff was great. We had that Gloria Stefan hadn't turned into a, a an, she was an international superstar, but she wasn't before she was on pop radio. We had folk music like crazy. Um, it was super cool. And up north, uh, bluegrass was a big deal. And I, Hard it, to believe. It's so exciting. And I mean, I could talk to you. More and more, because, I mean, I'm always curious about, uh, you know, the Nashville scene. Do you know Jim Rooney? Oh, Jim Rooney, um, who not only produced German Afternoons and Aimless Love, but he just pulled together an incredible four-CD box set on Nancy Griffith. Right. And because of Jim, again, I love Nancy, I got to write the liner notes for that box. Seriously. I, what a, you had an amazing... As I mean, I'm always amazed at freelancers in general, because it's like you're you're free fla- you're free falling. You, there's no net Morphous. there. Yes. <laughs> so I'm always amazed uh, the per, per, the project the projection of your careers and your project. Have did you predict where you where you'd end up today when you were at the Herald? Oh no 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 no. I mean that's why I think my editor or my editor my advisor sat me down and said give this a year. And, you know, I was freelancing for Rock and Soul. I was freelancing for Black Mammy Weekly. I was freelancing for Country Song Roundup and then Tower Records, Magazine, Pulse, all of that before I got out of college. And the Cleveland Plain Dealer, my hometown paper, because Jane Scott was a big fan of mine. Again, I used to call her when I was in school and talk to her, talk to her, so serious. Um, And, you know, I gave it a year. And I loved doing it. And... One of the things that I've been told by artists is they like the passion in my voice. And, you know, I've I've taken people down. I've written reviews where I had the bangles. I had Susanna Hoffs send a drink back to me at the Bluebird with the suggestion that the waitress poured over my head because I wrote a review as they were blowing up in Rolling Stone, heroines take a fall. But the other side of it is, I think if you love music, you also have to keep it honest. And I'm not mean just to be mean. And I'm not a critic so that my friends think I'm cool. I'm a little bit of a playground proctor because I want it to be great. And I know what music means and I care. So, but no, I mean, I could have never predicted this. My parents, you know, chewed their nails and were like, we sent you to college. I'm like, no, no, you didn't send me to college. Actually, I wrote for the Herald to pay for college. Y'all got a divorce and acted like brats. But... um, you know, nobody 
nobody from where I went to school, I'm, I'm dyslexic and I'm old enough that it was the private schools that took care of kids like me at the prep school in Cleveland. I went to St. Uh, Laurel school. They, they, to this day are like, how did you happen? <laughs> we, you make no sense to us. Um, and gave me the distinguished alumna for basically coloring outside the lines. I, but I know you're from you, all. Okay. No, I was going to say, but just if you just keep doing great work and taking the next step and not forgetting, you're going to get a lot more no than you are yes. And really huffing on the good things that happened last night. Um, the National Arts and Entertainment Journalist nominations came out and I had nine, including Entertainment Journalist of the Year, um, Washington Post, New York Times, Variety. I think it's two varieties and me, freelance. Amazing. That's amazing. And, and, you know, it's that thing of it's gotten so hard for freelance writers and you get all these people that weren't there and don't know and they want to treat you like a shill. And it's like, trust me, I don't, that's why I don't make friends friends, right? I don't go shopping with you for a reason. Cause if I've got to call foul, right? And I'll call and warn your publicist it's coming, but I think you have to tell the truth. Doug Adrianson, back to Doug Adrianson at the Herald. I had sort of softballed a review because the young lady's parents lived on Miami Beach and I didn't want to upset everyone in the condo building. And he came and he squatted down by my desk and he said, so have you listened to this record since you turned this review in? And I said, well, no. And he goes, hmm. I said, well, no, but you know, there's a new Ricky Skaggs and a nitty gritty dirt band and I've got the, and he looks at me and he goes, Holly, the only thing you have, because I know what we pay you, is the integrity of your name. And every time you do something like this, you make your name mean a little less. So there you go. Power to the Miami Herald. One last question. Sure. Uh, I know you're from Ohio, and you mentioned his name in one of your acceptance speeches I saw online. What did Alex Bevan mean to, mean to you? Everything. Alex Bevan meant everything to me. Um, is he still 11, alive? Is he still alive? He's still alive. He's 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 not playing out as much because he doesn't. He wants everything he does to mean something. But um, when I was eleven years old, someone took me to room one at John Carroll University, and um, he wrote the most filigreed songs over just absolutely breathtaking finger picking because it wasn't flashy. It was directly from his heart. And I was just like, you know, I'd love Jackson Brown and I'd love Joni Mitchell because I had the greatest babysitters in the world. But here's this guy. And so I started when I could and I was very, being a competitive golfer, I had chauffeurs and the golf pros. I started following them around and I always wore the same outfit. I wore slate colored, which is a very white, uh, fine Levi Strauss corduroy, a pink Oxford cloth button down shirt and a pink ribbon belt. And I would write in poetry. And you know, oh, I, I wrote you this. And when I met Carrie Come Smiling, Carrie Byron, when I was 16, and he'd been leaving these little folded up pieces of paper. She's like, oh, the poet Holly Gleason. And I'm like, uh, 
And I couldn't tell if he was doing it to make her jealous or not. But oh my God, Carrie comes smiling in this kitchen and you know who I am. <laughs> so, you know, he taught me a few things. He taught me that greatness can exist right where you are. He taught me not to be afraid of the shiny people because even when I really was just a dumb, dumb kid, right? And years later, he said, I couldn't figure out what you were doing in those bars. Like, I just thought you were a super young looking 18 year old because three, two beer in Ohio, you get into bars at 18. He said, I had no idea you weren't even in junior high school. And I said, well, I know, but I meant for, he goes, yeah, yeah, I got it. <laughs> but he said, you know, you were so poised. Your questions were always really smart. You had great taste in music. And I was friends with a bunch of the other local musicians. So, um, and he also, over the years, maybe did the freelance thing, taught me that you could do it on your own terms, right? And you could keep creating opportunities, and there was always a, another way. Um, and I got to co-produce two of his records later later on, um, Fly Away and I Have No Wings, which are gorgeous folky records if you don't have them and you come to the if you come on on saturday at four i will bring those two records to you because i have some in my house and i i just he would love that I, uh, but, holly i unfortunately i'm i'm upset i'm gonna be out of town that weekend send uh, an emissary and just say these are for, we're <laughs> okay. here to pick up michael's right, records no, you, you, that's great and like i say i could talk to you forever even my i'm just got a warning that my zoom time is running out but uh, it's really good catching up with you. Great stories. And Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to the Holly, Holly Gleason story. Well, hopefully um, I was there for the, for the Nashville Credibility Square. I was there for, you know, uh, country music rising the first time when traditionalism came have, back. Have you ever met Taylor Swift? Um, Taylor and I only talk by phone because I review her a lot. Um and I see too many people kind of sliding into her DMs and tweeting at her. And but her, I know my her, reviews get quoted in the ads. Her success I, is is unprecedented. I mean, that's it's phenomenal. I think I think it goes back to the kind of so baked in, no one notices it misogyny, where a lot of little girls need someone to sort of be the stars in the sky they steer by. And she has always been so willing to be candid, but also to roast somebody that needs it. So for little girls who are told, be quiet, be polite, cross your ankles, don't speak, right? There's a reason it was called speak now. Interesting, um, interesting, yeah. I think that she's she's done that. And the beauty of her re-releasing these records is a whole generation gets to have real-time Taylor Swift. And she's taken that, that older sister role really seriously. I think she doesn't say it because she doesn't want to cheapen it. And again, I think men who don't want to like drink the Lolita Kool-Aid, they don't want to give her that. But That's great. I, I know with my friends, kids, that is actually, I'm laughing that you asked. It's all they want to do. Do you know Taylor? <laughs> And it's like, yeah, I listen to her records and um, we know each other. We live in the in the same ecosystem. Yeah. But to me, I'd rather be able 
to just write the truth because her truth like like Marin Morris, like Little Big Town, like uh, Megan Maroney or Morgan Wade, who are the next girls coming out of Nashville, I think it's more important to maybe not bro down with them, to reach across the aisle to the yeah. Y side, um, and to be able to really get on the rooftop and shout about them. I, I hate to say this, but you sound old school. <laughs> Well, I am. I mean, I'm, a, I'm because my mom's girlfriends were awesome. I'm a first wave feminist. I had a charter subscription to Ms. Magazine when I was in kindergarten. Because Mrs. Leininger is like, we're going to raise this kid to do whatever she needs to do, however she needs to do it without I mean, wearing lipstick today because we're on Zoom without having to wear makeup and high heels. So I'm blessed. Thank you, Holly. Holly, it's great talking to you, and I'm just Absolutely. upset I won't be at the book fair to say hello well, to you. And I'm sorry, because we've got Mike Leonard, who's the Emmy Award-winning Today Show producer. Oh, really? Did oh, I didn't segments, know that. But John, he'll be joining me, and Michael McCall, who's not the Country Music Hall of Fame, he contributed one of the most perfect midlife profiles. It was a cover for the Nashville scene. Um, John, after Fiona had moved over, they were married, they were raising their little boys, and his life couldn't have been better. And I sort of view Michael's piece as the Citizen Prime piece, because it's just looking at John as a guy in the community. And it's, you know, I use this word a lot, but I think with John, this is the word. It was beautiful. It was just a beautiful piece. Super. Holly, thanks so much. Thank you so very much. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.